I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast, where we explore the world of Belgian beer. people talk about Belgian beer, they usually wax lyrical about characterful yeast strains, complex malt bills, and creative uses of herbs and spices. Sometimes even about the interesting water profiles in breweries here. There's usually not that much talk about hops. There's perhaps a suggestion that Belgians don't get bitterness, or that they don't fully optimise hops for aroma in the way that New World breweries are doing. All of that is nonsense, of course. Belgians have a rich tradition of hop growing, and a deeply embedded sense of balance in their beer, which gives hops their due. My guest this evening is Joris Kambi of De Plucker, one of the most famous and well-respected hop farmers in Belgium. His family have been growing hops in Poperinge for five generations, and in 2011 he started a small brewery on his farm, choosing to brew beer only with hops that he grows himself. Even though he grew up on that hop farm, it wasn't his ambition as a young man to follow in his father's footsteps, here he describes how trips to hop farms in America and England in his early 20s fueled his enthusiasm to continue the family tradition and sparked the idea to start a brewery. We talk about the challenges he faces as a hop grower and the dichotomy of being a hop farmer and brewery owner. Sit back, listen and enjoy Joris Kambi of Hop Farm Brewery De Blucher. So, thanks for coming to Ghent. Um, you told me that you have... Uh, is it your daughter that studies in Ghent? Yeah, she's uh, finishing uh, her first year. She still has to do one more exam about whatever, <laughs> and then she's done. She's doing the first year at, at the university, uh, bioengineer or something like that. And she's willing to end up as a... It's not really an education on, on, on brewing, science and things like that, but you can end up in the direction of brewing and malting science or something uh, that's why she chose that. She wants to end up into whatever. And do you, do, do you have a secret desire that she might end up on the farm? Well, a secret desire. Uh, they have to do what they want to do, but that would be nice, of course, if someone would end up in the brewery and, and someone would end up on the farm, of course, or, or maybe the combination like we do now. But uh, I don't know. They, so they, they have to you're kind of, you, you come sometimes then again, you're not unfamiliar well, with it? More than before, since I have to bring her now and then and bring her her, her bicycles or whatever kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but for the rest, I, I have not much with Ghent, really. Yeah, because you're, you're based in Poperinge. Yes, Poperinge, that's way back the corner, West Flanders, along the French border, about 25, 30 kilometers from the sea and along the French border in the, in the West Hook, what they call uh, very, let's say, rural area, a lot of agriculture, no factories, no uh, traffic jams. We don't know what that is. And, and, uh, and you, you came there, uh, you came from Poperinga today, and you, you mentioned to me that um, you had a few Irish guys on the farm who were inquiring about starting up a hop farm in Ireland. Yes, I, uh, I was getting some stuff in the shop, and uh, I, I got a call from my daughter, and she said, well, there's English-speaking people here at the door. <laughs> I said, okay, yeah, I'll let them wait a couple of minutes. I'll be there right away. And that uh, just two guys showed up. They came from the, the local hop museum in Popperingen. And they, they uh, were interested in hops. And, and, well, it ended up that they told me that they have a desire or a, a wish to, to start up to do something with hop growing in, in Ireland because there are or no more hops grown in Ireland. And they had... Uh, Oh, let's say crazy or fantastic idea to, to do something with that. So the, the Hop Museum, especially if they're English-speaking people, they, they send them to me and then they come to me and then I, okay, then they start asking questions and I, of course it, it, it's a big challenge, but uh, they can do it if you really want it. So you weren't there to dissuade them, you kind of give them some encouragement? Yeah, well, I said, uh, let's say growing hops is one thing. 
very hard to do since you don't know anything about it. But that's the easy part. But then picking hops and drying hops, that, that, that's a skill. If you have never seen hop picking or drying hops, it's almost impossible just like that to, 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 to start up from scratch. I told him, well, maybe you come over here for a year and then you know all about it. Um, like I said, yeah, growing hops is difficult, but then, then it's just starting up, picking the hops and drying the hops and then... You know that that's you can learn that in school. You can write in books. Uh, you got it. You know, you feel it in your fingers. Fingerspitzengefühl. Yeah. Eh? yeah, for like sure. And I mean, they, they came to the right place in Belgium, though, because Boperinge, where you're from, is kind of the hop-growing region of Belgium. So, how many how many hop farmers or how many sort of uh, people are involved in in the? There seems to be. I heard that a couple of days ago. Only 17 hop growers left anymore for about uh, 150 hectares, which is very little. Uh, there are quite a few, well, most of the American hop growers are producing more than 150 hectares by themselves. So we all together have only 150 hectares, but it used to come, let's say in the 60s, 70s, we came from in Belgium about a thousand hectares, but that has been going downhill well, ever since, but now the last couple of years, it's picking up a little bit. And, and do you, because of the kind of this small sort of nature of the community of hop growers, do you have strong relationships with each other? Do you help each other out? Or do you well, yeah, it's it's quite easy and, and, and uh, nice to do it. There is a meeting, everybody lives about five minutes away, so that, <laughs> yeah. that, uh, that makes it nice, and yeah. then, especially afterwards. You know, after the meetings, that's, you know, when it's getting interesting at the corner of the bar, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it has, yeah, it has a, a lot of advantages. Let's say 150 hectares, 90% are grown really in Poperinge and then a few just around. And then there are two more uh, very small, tiny hop growers left at the area close to Brussels, uh, Alst, Asse. Mm-hmm. But one of them is about eight years old now, it's never got married, so that won't last for very long anymore so and the other one uh is also about 50 he's doing it part-time and as long as his mother lives she wants to continue so that will end up probably within five or ten years so because you because you've got that concentration of this skill in a small region of belgium um that the the sort of popering identity must be quite strong amongst all those hop farmers you know well Hop growers, what they say, are very uh, special species. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they say you, you got farmers, you got special farmers, you have very, let's say, very awkward farmers, and then you got hop growers. That, that's what the other farmers say around. Yeah. <laughs> we are kind of, you know, you have to be crazy to grow hops because of, yeah, whatever. Uh, well, anyway, that's what they say. The, 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 the beer that we're tasting at the minute is uh, the K-Koppen. Yes. from uh, the Blücherier Brewery um, and that's kind of a story that's very closely connected to sort of the, the identity of the Boperingers. Yes, um, this is the first beer that we started up with, with the brewery and uh, we also wanted kind of, you know, the, the story about the brewery is that we only make beer with our own hops. The hops that I grow on my hop farm are used in the brewery. No more and no less. So that that's, so it's all about the hops and so the first beer we want, we really wanted that you kind of taste the story behind it. So it, it, it has a nice bitterness, uh, only blonde, 6% alcohol. It's it's uh, 30 EBUs, which is, you know, it's bitter, but it's still drinkable. Sure. And also the hop flavors are in there. So uh, it's it's the story, let's say, in the glass. And and the name of the beer, K-Koppen, uh, K-Kop means uh, translated stubborn head which is something, uh, a nickname we got uh, from way back in the Middle Ages. The people of Poperinge. Yes. Uh, they call us the K-Koppen. Eh? They have yeah. stubborn heads. Hard heads. Hard heads because they, you know, never want to give up. So that that whole story started somewhere in the Middle Ages that um, Poperinge in those days were, let's say, a rather big town. Um, today, Poperinge itself has about 14,000 people. So that's small. But in those days, Popering was, you could put him almost next or just behind, you know, like Ebers, 
Kortrick, Kent, Bruce, that were the big guys, you know. And in those days, the, the, the cities got big because of the lace work, famous Flemish lace work. Mm-hmm. Poppering was doing quite well in these things, and but was, let, let's say, still a bit smaller than the big guys. And, and like Ebers, it's only 15 kilometers yeah, away. Very close, yeah. So very close, they, they didn't like it. Because uh, we were, let's say, hard workers and we wanted to climb up and, and, and working hard. And, and Nipper, you know, they, they, had, they, they felt quite a bit of competition. Anyway, that's the story that I heard from the side of Poppering. So it's been passed down to yeah. you, yeah. Uh, I heard other stories from the other side as well, but I won't tell you that. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, they, uh, it ended up with, with, with fighting up and down. And the guys from Ypres, they were more like, bigger. And they went to the, the Duke of Flanders, whoever was in charge and uh, they complained and said well yeah you should do something about it and anyway they brought out a new law that said in the within three hours walking distance around Ypres nobody can produce any lace work anymore and if you walk you know from three hours from Ypres the market square poppering was just in between so that by law we could not we anymore so so there was a major head to the industry yeah so they, they they did some fighting up and down but they lost the battle at the end because they they yeah, the law said uh, the duke of flanders whatever so there was a big problem in poppering uh, poverty and, and no people had no more work and then poppering was um, depending on the the abbey of saint of mars which is now north of france and then the Abbey, they, they saw that things were going quite bad because of, you know, because of all the, these troubles and there was no more work. There was no, nothing to do. And then the story is that he sent two monks down to Bavaria, Germany now, uh, because hop growing already started a couple hundred years down there. Hops were not used in beer or not very common. It was still rather new, uh, using hops, yeah. which was a big advantage because it, it has a nice bitterness and then... Uh, also the head stability the preservative quality yes all these things they they just found out these days so there was a possibility so that he sent a couple monks down there they took some hop roots back to Polperinge and instead of uh, weaving the lace work they they were doing the or the cloth work or whatever they were uh, starting to grow hops to give people work again because it was very intensive a lot of hand labor and uh, well that's the story a little bit how it's all started up, uh, and is the, and is the is the is the cake and so the, the name cake up and comes from because they were so stubborn they didn't want it to give up. I mean, is that a, a name that you still hear people from Ypres calling people from Popperinge? Well, not really. I don't think so. that that's from. And did it did it cut from a commercial point of view? Did it cause anybody to or the Popperinge people to? Well, in Popperinge, you know that cake up means you know it's a little bit historic, but in Ypres, nobody knows about it. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just well, not anymore. Yeah. We had also a nickname for the guys from Eper. They were, I don't know how to try. Be careful that. now. You, you don't want to offend anybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Change subject. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, so, so then you kind of um, when you started with this beer, it was obviously you know you said it was a beer from a hop farm. You wanted to kind of be known for using the hops from your farm uh, in the beers that you were producing, and the first one was a kind of a very puppering a beer. I mean, did did you? Did you were you under pressure, or did you feel that people were going to think this is going to be a very bitter beer because it's from a hop farm, or did you know that in Belgium there would kind of be an embracing of a certain sense of balance in the beer? Yeah, well, we did not want just to bring out just another re- regional special beer like there are so many these days. We wanted the kind that the story behind the brewery is, is that this is our our label, uh, and we wanted that that story inside of the beer and of course most people you know common people around are not very fond of that bitterness hoppiness it's they say oh yours is very good beer but okay we just drink one (laughs) so it's not all that popular but let's say that the people that let's say not the beer geeks but then somewhere in between or the people that nowadays are these part of people are getting bigger that likes a nice, special, a good beer with it, some hoppy flavor. These people like this, of course. Yeah. That, that, that's for those people we brewing this. Uh, well, anyone can uh, taste it. That's not the problem. Not but sure. uh, not just another whatever uh, fluffy, uh, you know, um, light, blonde, uh, 7% triple thing that, that we already have so many of. 
doesn't make any sense. We want to do some, that's that's the whole thing. We want to do things different than other brewers. Eh? Like, you know, these days, every week there's new brewery somewhere showing up. But what we do is, is, is our thing is that, first of all, we brew, we have a brewery. All the beers we brew ourselves on the farm, in the brewery. We only use my own hops. Eh? That's also quite a special. Well, some people uh, abroad are doing the same thing. Um, and everything is 100% organic as well. Why? Because the farm is organic since many, many years. And it's quite logic so that we take the next step. When you say organic, you know, for people that might not know what that means, you're talking about growing without pesticides, without chemicals. Yeah, basically, technically, that that's... Yeah, how you grow organic, that's or you get the label. Um, but it's, it is a lot more into it than that, but that will take another couple of hours. So. Was, it, was it a conscious decision to do that from quite early on, to be an organic hop farm? Yeah, um, it all started, well, in 1993, I took over the farm from my father. And uh, we were growing hops, of course. Uh, my father was a hop grower and his father and his father for... So you grew up basically on a hop farm? Yeah, I, uh, there was a period, let's say in the in the 70s, we were growing hops and nothing else. That was the only thing we had, was hops. Mm-hmm. And no vegetables, no wheat, barley or sugar beets, whatever you could name off. Um, we only had hops, that was easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so my father was a hop grower, his father, so I, I checked it out. So at least four generations far, we were growing hops and probably longer, but we cannot tell for sure. And my mother, on her side, at least five generations, and probably longer, but we cannot prove it. But we're sure at least five generations. So, so. But anyway, in the old days, let's say 100 years ago, everybody that was in farming in, in the area was growing hops. Mm. That was, everybody was growing hops. That was normal. So when you, when you were sort of on the farm, perhaps you did a summer job or something, when you, or helped out on the farm as you grew up, did you yeah. think, right, this is this is what I'm going to do? I'm definitely going to... Oh, no. Or did you think I'm going to go off to Ghent and be an accountant? No, I was not into farming or when I was 16, you know. So you thought, I'll, I'll do this for a couple of years, help my dad, and then I'll... Yeah, I, I was... We, we had to, well, those days were different than these days, so we had to help. We had to work on the farm, you know, on Saturdays and, and the weekend or in, in summertime. No, no choice. There was no choice. That was, that was it. So that kind of gave me, oh, my God, I'm never going to farm it. Too much work all the time and definitely no hops because that, that's so much hand labor. It should be stupid to grow hops. No, there's so many other, maybe a little bit of sugar beets and things like that. That's easier old machinery. <laughs> and what, what, was the, what was the moment then that you said, you know what, I'm pretty good at this and this could be quite yeah, exciting? Well, getting older a little bit and then suddenly the, the light goes on and, then, you know. <laughs> uh, no, there, there's, a, there's something that changed my life quite a bit. Um, that was in 1988, I was 22 years old, and I had the chance, or anyway, I asked my parents if I could do a, what they call a, a broad work experience program thing. Mm-hmm. So I ended up almost four months on a hop farm in, in America, in the United States. Where, whereabouts? Uh, in the state of Washington, in the, in the Akima yeah, Valley, where, where okay, they all yeah, are, of course, in the yeah. middle there. All And that kind of... Uh, that was a, the, 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 the most, yeah, best experience of my life. But you're 22 years old, you're young, you're not married, not a girlfriend, nothing at all. Just leaving the other side of the world and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Just see what, what's what's going on. And then, okay, I, I met these people and I lived with these people and then I still have a lot of contact with these people. And uh, They were they were also hop farmers. Yeah, yeah, of course. They, they had, those days they had about 100 hectares of hops that we thought, oh my God, this is amazing. So, but it's a complete different world and the way they grow hops and, and the way we do it is different. They have mm-hmm. a completely different climate, different varieties, different machinery. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of made things, you know, um, moving some kind. Of, and when I, I remember when I got home, I had the idea, yeah, well, yeah, we, we have something with hops. Oh, I keep growing hops and we will do better than what they do. And so was it always with a kind of a, a thought uh, or a, a sort of a perspective on the beer world? No, no, it was, it was always just from the farming perspective. Yeah, growing hops. I'm still a hop grower. Uh, I'm not really a brewer. I'm, I'm a hop grower. And I mean, just make beer with my own hops. We're the two of us in the brewery. Chris is the brewer, I'm the hop grower. But together we have the brewery. 
So you, That's a bit, uh, you, you talked a little bit about um, sort of the the reputation that hop farmers have among other farmers and the the awkwardness and hard headedness of the the gay couple from Vopperinga. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the kind of and, and the differences as well between growing in Belgium and and America. So tell me a little bit about sort of the the actual growing and the picking and the drying. You know the way your year works, the way your weeks work, um, how you approach sort of that whole process. Okay, so um, the hop, yeah, the hop cultivation or uh, yeah, growing hops is uh, let's say starts in spring, let's say somewhere in March. What well, it's depending on many things, but anyway, roughly um, in March we prune the hops, so that means that we cut back the old growth from the last year. Hops is a, what they call a pre-annual plant. So it means that the plants last for many years and each year she comes back. So the plant itself stays in the ground mm-hmm. and new shoots come out every year. So the first to do is, uh, let's say from, from season before we cultivate and we hill up. So we have to cut back that hill or pruning like we say. So the field is ready to put the new wire work. So hops, uh, it's a climbing plant, so it needs something to climb on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot grow hops on the ground or whatever. They will rot, they, they will die of diseases. So they need something to climb on. That's why hop fields are so typical with all the construction of the poles and the wire work, cables. So each year uh, we prune the hops, then we put on the new climbing wires eh, on top and on the bottom meanwhile the new shoots start to come and about the first of may the the first yeah shoots to train are about 30 40 centimeters yeah. 50 and then they're about long enough to start training so each plant has an in a, a v-shape yeah. they have two climbing wires and each wire needs normally three shoots depending on the variety but let's say three shoots but that's all hand labor putting on the wires putting them on the bottom training these hops plant per plant that's all hand labor and i presume that if you don't know what you're doing or you don't do it correctly your harvest is going to suffer well not really but okay everybody can learn it as well okay you have to turn them on the clockwise you know like the sun turns if you uh, on the right around the wire if yeah but if you Turn them on the left. The next day they will drop off by themselves. Really? Yeah, you have to go them clockwise. Okay. Um, yeah, people never did it before. That in the beginning they they can miss, and then the next day yeah you can see it. But anyway, yeah, and, and anyone can do it. It's not that hard to do. And yeah. uh, just if they don't do it right, you have some extra labor on it. But anyway, so the, the hops they grow, and and they ha- we have to, especially in Belgium, we have quite a bit of wind. We have to. Now and then, with bad weather, rain and wind, we have to retrain them and the heads, they go away from the climbing wire because of the wind. Depending also, some varieties are very sensitive on that. So we have... So that's a case going. of like visual checking? Yeah, we have to, to keep going. Exactly. In the beginning, every so. week, we have to go through and keep training and all that. Mm-hmm. So finally, about the 1st of July, every year, the first shoots hit the top wire. So, and in my case, the hop fields are about six meters. Mm-hmm. So that means that from the 1st of May until the 1st of July, it's easy, it's two months, 60 days, they grow six meters. So that's easy counting, that's 10, average-wise, 10 centimeters a day. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's amazing, that's so much. And like today, we're the 21st of June, which is the longest day of the year, and we have nice and warm weather and no wind so perfect condition of hop growing some varieties can do 25 up to 30 centimeters in 24 hours under these conditions so you almost can see them growing yeah Uh, i heard somewhere that it's the fastest growing plant in our climate Okay. okay somewhere in brazil or in the the jungle things go faster but but in our climate conditions nothing is growing any faster than hops So that means something. So anyway, so they, they reach the top the 1st of July, and then they start to produce side arms, and then the side branches during summertime, the first flowers come on there. And these flowers, somewhere halfway August, they turn into hop cones. And in September, hops are ready to pick, then they are picked, dried, and whatever. And is, is that a kind of a sort of 
um, person and time intensive process to do the picking? Or do you have machinery that you... Of course, yeah, machinery really picks up, but it's still, you have to feed the machines, you have to cut the binds from the field, you have to put them... Man, the, the picking machine is inside the building, it's not like, you know, digging out potatoes, the, the machine comes into the field, they dig out the potatoes, put them in big trailers, a couple hours, thing, everything is done. doesn't work that easy. <laughs> it's a bit more complicated, as you can think of. So we have to cut the vines in the field with a machine as well, but still, we have to bring loads with vines into the picking machine. Then a guy have to, one by one, hang them on, on the picking machine. The chain is pulling them through. They are picked and clean and, and everything. So at the end, there's one belt, let's say 99.9% of pure hop cones, and another belt with all the waste, the leaves, the, the, the chopped pines and whatever, goes out with the trash, which is then later on composted. So the hops come out of the machine and then they go straight away to the, to the dryer, to the kilns. Mm -hmm. So they have to be dried as soon as possible right away. Otherwise, they don't. You cannot preserve them. They will. They will rot. They will get turned brown. So in a couple of days, it will be worthless. Uh, yeah. So you have each hop farmer has a picking machine that has a drying unit. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't work. That's really important. Yeah, you have to pick them. They have to be dried the same day or in the evening, until maybe late at night. But they have to, to be dry. Not freshness. Yeah. The next morning, they have to be dry so they can leave the kiln. So there's place to start up picking again. So. Uh, and then from each variety, of course, we keep them separate and then we make one lot of these dry hops eh, when they cool down from per variety. Uh, and we bale them in, in a little square bales of 60 kilograms and then they're ready for transport to wherever they have to go. And then you just put your feet up for the rest of the year. It must be uh, not really hot farmer's holiday. <laughs> well, there are always things to do, but of course, in winter time, things are a bit uh, easy. You can turn your focus to the beer. Yeah. Um, now, the story how I started up the beer is uh, something that started up, let's say, 20, 25 years ago somewhere. That uh, you know, these things happened at the late, uh, late Saturday evening, night, yeah. at the corner of the bar, you know. Where most with of the friends. most of the best ideas are. Yes, that, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> with with some friends, and then I don't know where it came from, but suddenly the idea came up, you know, and and I kind of loud shouted and and what if we would, you know, could ever make a beer from my own grown hops, just like that? Everybody was very enthusiastic. <laughs> Everybody stood up and applauded. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, applauded, and we, we had a few more beers uh, yeah. after that. Then I don't know anymore. And then, <laughs> then you woke up the next okay, morning yeah, and someone reminded morning. you of the promise. Yeah, no, not really. A couple of weeks later, <laughs> I didn't remember anything anymore. But uh, that kind of started that whole idea. But of course, starting up a brewery is not just like that. It's not so easy, uh, especially not in those days. Now things are different. There's a lot of knowledge from microbreweries and all that. But the idea was kind of, uh, the seed was germinated, you know, it started, yeah. Uh, I was awake. Anyway, and then uh, two things happened later on. I started as a home brewer then, a couple of, uh, next year, you know, little batches, 10 liters, and, and in the kitchen, things like that. And sometimes the beer was drinkable, and sometimes not, and so, or whatever. But it was fun. Yeah. But I had the idea, well, really starting up a brewery, that, that's too much. You know, I'm a farmer, young family, kids, you know, it's not that easy. Then two things happened that made me, to persuade me really to go on with that project. Now the first thing that happened was, uh, again, uh, after meeting uh, local hop farmers, whatever meeting, I don't know anymore. And after the meeting, you know, we talk a little bit at the bar, yeah, drink a beer. And uh, we were doing some talking and uh, next to us at the bar, there was a man, uh, who was, uh, let's say, what we call a beer merchant, uh, distributing beer locally. And uh, they used to be, like many of those, used to be a brewery way back in the 60s, but like many of them, they gave up because they could not compete with the big guys anymore. Yeah. Well, anyway, and um, I was talking as, uh, talking about the idea that, you know, maybe ever one day uh, I would like to start up, you know, my own brewery, uh, make beer from my own hops. And, and, you know. and then the guy, he said, oh, Joris, that's impossible. You can't do that. No way we can do that. We did it many years ago and we had to give up. There's no way that today you can start up and, and it 
kept going you know, really negative and always saying impossible, you can't do it. But to myself, that has the, the, the effect is just it's the because, other way around. It's because you're a stubborn head. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So the more he said it's impossible, the more I said inside, like, well, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> that, that, that really, I, I still remember that. Uh, I will not tell his name, of course, but uh, I should be grateful to him. We'll get, get a few more beers into you and we'll get whoever it was. <laughs> so that, that kind of inside of me started something to burn and said, well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if that's possible. Hmm, wait. And then another thing happened. Um, that was during, yeah, a couple of years later. I don't know. Now here in Ghent, the, you had the, the, the brewery school or the Caho St. Leven. Yeah. Now they, they call it different, whatever. And they were doing a lot of research on beer and projects on beer, uh, research, whatever, trials. And uh, if they were having, starting up some projects around using hops or pellets or whatever to do with beer, they also asked some people from the from hop growing to, to get involved in that so they get better ways to get the money from the EU and all that. So they need a few people, hop growers or whatever, to get involved in that project. I didn't know anything about beer and tasting and all that. So we had to sit there at the meetings and tasting beer. I didn't know whatever. <laughs> you were happy but then, yeah, yeah, Okay, whatever. Um, but there was a, a whole new world, you know, all brewers down there. And uh, and again, after, after the meeting, have a beer, we do some talking, always the same theory. Uh, Suddenly, I, I was talking to a brewer, and I do not know anymore who that was. Um, and I was talking again about the idea of maybe ever starting up a brewery and, and make beer from my own hops. And suddenly he said to me, Joris, he said, this is a unique concept. You really have to do something with that. And I kind of looked surprised. said, what do you mean by that? And then he said, well, you got to know, he said, Already those days in Belgium, we have so many kinds of beers and all very good beers. And every week there are new beers coming onto that market and that market is, is full. And everybody is trying to do something different or, or telling a different story to get a little piece of that cake in that sure. market of, 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 of special beer. He said, so that that's very hard to do. But he said, you are telling a story here that nobody of us as, as, as existing brewers will, will are able to copy and this is a beautiful story you have to do something with that story I never well he looked at it uh, commercially uh, I never looked at it that way and I went home and said well yeah maybe he's right it is a beautiful story yeah maybe people would like that so that's another thing that helped me you know uh, going through with this whole idea but Still, I had the idea of starting up a brewery is too hard. Uh, it's too much. Uh, there are only 24 hours in one day, so... Uh. Yeah. But uh, things changed on the farm as well. Uh, I was uh, growing... I used to grow also vegetables, and I quit growing vegetables. I did more hops, so in winter it was, let's say, calmer down. And then after a while it was getting too calm in winter. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, then something else happened. So I'm, I'm since many, many years a um, member of the local beer club in Popringen. And um, okay, we have a meeting every month and there's also about beer, beer tastings, visits, breweries, whatever, somebody talking about beer. And uh, there were always coming new members and at a certain point there were new members coming in and, and Chris Lagos. So this is where you met Chris? Uh, yeah. Right? yeah. Chris was joining the club and I heard from other people, oh yeah, Chris is also, but he's about 10 years younger than me. I, don't, I didn't knew him really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he was also a home brewer, but mm-hmm. that's all I knew. So we, we, we started talking uh, during the meeting and, and, and again after the meeting we kept talking and then after a couple of meetings. Uh, now he also had a desire of, uh, you know, he was a home brewer. He had also a degree on brewing. Huh? Yeah. He had more technical background than I did uh, and uh, and he also had a kind of desire to do something more than just brewing beer in the kitchen or in the garage yeah. to, to go to the next level but he also said by myself I never 
I'm not able to do that. I have no story at all. And, 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 and financially, all by myself, it's too much. It's impossible. I had the same thing. Mm. But, okay, again, after the meeting and after a few beers, he said, okay, well, maybe you can do something together. And two of us can do more than alone. So we decided to put something together and we uh, started up the brewery, Brewery the, the Plucker. The of the Plucker. So we're own 50% of, of, the, of the brewery, both of us. So... Mm-hmm. We have to go along, otherwise it won't work. And what what year was that that you started then? That was 2011. So the first official brew then was in the, the 9th November of 2011. And the first beer you released was the K-Kuppen? That was, yeah. And the second beer was the Rokup. Yes. Which I think we should pour now and taste, and you can tell me a little bit about that beer. Okay, that's a good idea. So maybe you can do the honours and open it. When you um, were kind of starting it up with Chris and you were talking about the beers that you were going to make, um, did you kind of work a lot on the recipes together? Uh, yeah. Had, had he worked on recipes that he was kind of keen on, on yeah, so bringing? Yeah, we, we said, okay, what do we want? We want yeah, the first beer with, you know, bitterness, hoppy flavor. Dry. This is the only beer that we're doing dry hopping. The cake up. Yes. If you've never done that before, it's quite tricky until you find out which is the right way to do it because... It all depends on so many things and everyone is doing it differently. So it took quite a bit of some time until the first beer was really au point. Huh? Yeah. Uh, but after that, um, so the second beer, that I think that was already the second year or something. We were not really ready for that. But anyway, it's a dark brown beer. Common people don't drink that too much. Very malty flavor, roasted flavor. Yeah, a little bit roasty. It's got a kind of yeah, a treacly... Mocha, of, yeah. uh, coffee flavor into into it, so I like it very much. But most people, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> are not so fond of that type of beer. Yeah. It goes a little bit direction of a stout. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so let's let's go back to the farm for a second, and um, you know, talk a little bit about varieties. Um, I'm just wondering if you know. If, if you've seen kind of in any changes in trends in the beer industry in Belgium have prompted changes in, in the growth of particular varieties or if it's kind of, I mean, are the two kind of interconnected in some way depending on demand from brewers or do brewers take what they can get? No, no, no. Um, okay, nowadays there's a big demand for hops and, and now they, they just about will take anything. As long as it has some kind of new exotic name, they will they will buy it. But But that's not only a couple of years. So basically, I have always been growing hops that you can sell. doesn't make any sense growing some variety which is producing well, growing well, doesn't ask much problems, no, no, whatever. But if you can't sell them, it's, it's worthless. So I always have been moving in the direction of, uh, well, do something that nobody else or, or difficult to grow, which there is a demand and, or a good price, and, and, and etc. Now, it's, I think it's about... Must be about 15 years already that I'm member of a hop cooperative, so a cooperative of hop growers, but in England. And, uh, and because of that, even before that, I'm growing mainly English-style aroma varieties, like the typical uh, Goldings, Fuggles, Challenger, Whitbread Golding, Pilgrim. Uh, today I also grow some cascades. I'm planting up a little bit of Centennial now, uh, a little bit of Phoenix, which is in a newer English variety. So, and yeah, always trying new things. And even I am busy with uh, re-establishing some old, disappeared, original Belgian varieties, which are no longer exist. Okay. That we found back somewhere abroad in, in collections of research hop research institutes that they still have here and there a few original belgian varieties from way back that we pick out and and start to reproduce and and see if we can do something with it i have even an american brewery i will not tell the name of course (laughs) 
that specifically asked me, begging on their bare knees almost, like, we want to make a contract for, an, but it has to be an original Belgian variety. Two, three tons, and whatever the price you, you want. They want it mm-hmm. because of the story behind it. You know, Belgian beer, Belgian hops, Belgian varieties. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. That, that's why they need it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and anyway, yeah, for ourselves as well, uh, not to do big acreage, but, but it would be nice to do produce a beer that is made with original Belgium hops. Absolutely. That's a nice story. So, uh, well, I'm busy with all these kinds of things and uh, there's a lot of trials. And has, be- has being in the cooperative um, with sort of the English hop farmers, has the, have you had a chance to go over there and kind of meet those guys? And we have, when You talked yes, about sort of things are quite done quite differently in America and when you were younger, you had the yeah. sort of... Yeah, England, enthusiasm yeah. of that is it is it different in England again? Than oh yeah, they grow hops completely different. Uh, like so, so what would be some of the major differences? Well, the way they grow hops is uh, different than the rest of the world. Like a lot of things that the English do is different than the, the English, rest of the world. They, do. <laughs> they live on an island. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> they do. So they're that's uh, well, a bit uh, technical to explain, but they grow hops only on four and a half meters, a lot lower than the rest of the world, and they have a lot more plants per hectare, a lot closer. So that means that they have a lot more vines, but little ones. That means you have a lot more work. Because in hops, you should not calculate there's so many hours per, per hectare, but it's per bind, because you have to pull up the, the, the wires, uh, train them, uh, putting back in the machine for, for picking, and it's always not per hectare, it's per bind. A picking machine is not picking that many hectares a day, it's, it's picking that many binds an hour. So, and if you produce a lot more binds, you have a lot more work. And, and Well, anyway, it's a completely different system. But I, I presume that the, the climate in sort of those southeastern parts of England where, where a lot of the hop farms are is similar yes, to Belgium. Yes, that, that's why I, I... And you I, have a lot of the varieties that they might grow. Yes, there were varieties like Fuggles, Goldings and like that, that they were in big demand at a certain point. We have the same climate, so we can grow them without a problem, quality-wise, they're exactly the same. And, and I suppose on the, on the climate question and, and varieties, you also mentioned that you, you grow Cascade, Belgian Cascade, and you're doing some experience with, with Centennial. Uh, how different are your Cascade hops to those that might grow, for example, in the Yakima Valley? Well, there is definitely a difference. Um, specialists, they sniff through the hops. They recognise it as being Cascade, but... It is a lot milder and softer. It's not that harsh, which is so typical for, 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 for Cascade. The alpha content is also quite a bit lower. It's only around five, five and a half percent. Normally, let's say the American Cascade is around seven, seven and a half. So that may, gives a difference. And, and But it all depends what you want to do with it. I, I know already two brewers that they prefer Belgium Cascade or let's say European grown Cascade yeah, in England or in Belgium, the same even in Germany, very little difference. But they prefer it because it is milder and softer, but it all depends what you want to do with it. Um, like the, the Proof Brewery, they do a lot of tests and trials. They, yeah, so that's, uh, I was going to ask you, how, how, how they, you know, they approached you about a, an experiment or a project yes. that they were doing. So the Proof are kind of a, a very well-known sort of contract uh, brewery, but also they do a lot of experiments um, yes, into different do, uh, facets of beer. One of, of course, of which is hops. Yeah. They did a single hop experiment. Yeah, single hop beers. They do a lot with that. So they made uh, two beers which are exactly the same, uh, exactly the same recipe. Everything exactly the same. The same variety of hops, but the only difference is that the variety is Cascade. Between the two beers is that one beer is the Cascade coming from Belgium. And the other beer, the Cascade is coming from America, from the, let's say, the Yakima Valley, which has been grown in a complete different climate. And it's a desert climate. You have to irrigate everything. And it's, every day it's hotter than hell. And over here it's raining and cold. So it has an effect on the, on the yeah, hops. Every uh, part of not, the development not, of that. Well, in wine, uh, they call it the terroir. But now they... they starting up using the same words for, for hops. So anyway, they, they made exactly the same beer, but uh, you, you don't need to be a specialist to, to taste the difference. It's quite obvious to, to, to understand the difference. And most people prefer 
the Belgium cascade. If you do really a blind tasting, they all say, if they know something about beer and hops, they say, well, that, that probably the, the Yakima one, because it's a lot more, you know, citrus and harsher. The bitterness is that stronger. And the Belgium one is, is softer and mild and is more drinkable. So at the end, people prefer it. So you see, it, it all depends what you want to do with it. it. In a way, it kind of mirrors sort of, um, perhaps not now, but sort of in the last few years, the kind of personalities of those beer countries that America is yeah. into their sort of more, they're changing now, but they were kind of into their aggressive bitterness. Mm-hmm. Belgium was obsessed with balance and perhaps not going too far over the edge. Well, we still do that. And I think that's the way to go. Uh, it's all about balance and not... Well, it's quite easy to throw a lot of hops and, and double IPA and whatever. That's easy. You just throw a lot of hops in there and then dry hopping and whatever. And it's woof, it's like a bomb of hops and bitterness. But is it good? That That's something different, you know. Well, anyway. Yeah, I think a lot of people lot of would say it's good and depending on the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, do, in working with the proof, it also must have been kind of nice for you to see the results of these experiments. Mm, yes, that, that was a, they do. Maybe an education for yourself yes. as well. Of course, yeah. We learn a lot of this. Well, they did that trial and then they brought some of this. Well, they had two batches of beer, which is quite a bit. They don't sell that beer. It's, it's an experiment, so they give it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and after the meeting with the hop growers, they said, yeah, okay, everybody who wants, you can take some cases and boxes with beer along. There seems so, to be a lot of uh, drinking beer at these hop farm meetings that you go to. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we, we do some quality control on uh, what we're doing, and that's important. <laughs> um. You mentioned about the sort of the, the drying of the hops, the picking and the drying. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the processing? So when this arrives into a brewer's or perhaps in your own your own brew house, um, you know, it, do they arrive in cones? Do they arrive in flowers? Do they arrive in pellet form? Yeah, well, let's say nowadays most of the hops are, let's say, when they, they leave the farm and then, let's say, somewhere else in a company or whatever or a cooperative or whatever way you work, they are processed in hop pellets or even in, in, in hop extract when he only needs the alpha or high alpha hops uh, or a little bit of hops are still used in hop cones as whole flowers but most of the hops are processed in hop pellets so that's the way that most brewers like them to use in their system um, that has advantages and, and disadvantages well the, the big advantage of the processing is that once your hops are processed, they're vacuum packed or under CO2 and they store for one or two years without a problem, losing very little of their quality. If you're using whole hops, well, you're starting off with more aroma, but you're losing it a lot faster until the, you know, the, the next season to come. Mm-hmm. If you use pellets, you don't lose very little. And as a brewer, you want to have a consistent quality all year long and with the whole hops that's a bit tricky um, you can vacuum pack them and put them in cold store and, or even in a big freezer that would help but still another another thing is that, that most breweries the, the brew houses are not equipped to use whole hops anymore because that gives a lot of trouble after the boiling to get rid of the all, all these hops um, so it's not that easy. And you, you also have a beer, actually, which um, is a sort of a more limited release, but it's a beer in which you use wet hops. Yeah, that's a complete different story again. Um, so every year during hop picking, we do one batch or one double batch with, uh, with what, what they call green hopping, wet hopping, fresh hopping, whatever they call it. It's something that comes out of America again. And uh, the whole idea is that you're using... Well, normally you have to pick the hops and you have to dry the hops. Otherwise, you cannot preserve them. You cannot do anything. But you can make beer. You can brew with green hops fresh from the machine. You don't have to dry them. You only have to dry them when you want... Use them later on. Later on, yes. And, and beer is something that you, you continue to do all year long. That's the big difference with wine. You only make once wine a year when the grapes are ready. And that's it. The rest of the year, I don't know what they do, but <laughs> <laughs> if you make beer, you can make day and night, every day, all year long, you can make beer. That makes a big difference between wine and beer. But anyway, we were talking about... Yeah, so so yeah, it must be quite exciting that you're kind of 
preparing, you know, the, the brew day and the, the picking day yes. on the same day. And you're going to use these fresh from the harvest. Yeah, so every year we make one beer that the, we call it the single green hop. Single because it's only one hop variety that we are picking on that day. So we choose a date when we will do that batch or that double batch. And we use the hop that we are picking on that day. So, but I can roughly say probably that or that that variety, but we're not sure. Because some season hops are earlier or later on or whatever things can happen. But anyway, we, we, we use the hop that we are picking on that day. Whatever it is, the recipe of the beer stays the same, but only probably most of the years it's a different variety, which makes it nice again. And the fact that we use green hops has, uh, gives a complete different flavor and, and a lot uh, softer bitterness to the beer. He, well, you he, he, he can imagine that if you dry the hops four, five, six hours at uh, temperatures of 60, 65 degrees hot air, you blow in through the hops, there's a lot of the finest aromas which are gone. Mm -hmm. So if you have green hops, well, anyway, in our case, we're close to the, it's, it's, it's a, the, the best way to do it is uh, We're picking hops. Huh? I'm picking hops. Uh, Chris calls me and said, well, in about a half an hour, we'll start to boil. Yeah, there so must I be some hops, logistical huh? uh, yes, yes. Okay. challenges we, on that we, particular we, day. We, we said, okay, this variety, and we don't know how many alpha. Well, I was going to say, you don't do. know the alpha, the essential oils, the kind no, of... No, we don't know anything. We simply say, okay, normally that variety will do about that much, so we will take about that much. So there's a little bit of guesswork. And they are not dry, so they're wet. So you have to figure out, so it's it's complete puzzle. But anyway... So I come in with my uh, bags with, with green hops, a huge um, volume. We throw them in the kettle. After half an hour, they come from the picking machine. After half an hour, they're already in the kettle, kind of. So they cannot be any fresher than that. Mm -hmm. And of course, the fact that you don't dry them, you have all the maximum flavors in there. Mm -hmm. it, it has an effect. But it has also uh, disadvantages that we have seen and learned from, from people that are a lot smarter than us, <laughs> that uh, the drying effect of the hops makes that uh, some of the aromas are gone. You lost them during drying. Yeah. But the aromas which are left hold longer because they're, they're, they store better because of some changements going on during that drying Are you process. talking about in the beer itself? No, 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 during the drying. Yeah. And if you use them later on in, in making the beer, the flavor will stay a lot longer in the beer. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. They, they stay so longer the, in the beer. The single green hop has a, a, a magnificent, special, uh, sweet bitterness, soft bitterness, but it, it, this it, beer is quite it fast. It diminishes quite, yeah. yeah. So, you, so you after, really need to drink it fresh. After we, we still have a few bottles left from last year, and if you taste them, still a very good beer, but the, 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 the special thing is gone. Yeah. Still a good beer, yeah. but the thing is gone. Yeah. And th th but these are things you're learning about your, your beers yeah. and it's a, it's a pretty special project. Anyway, the, that beer is, a, in a couple of months, it's all sold out, it's limited and, and that's it. And uh, then you have to wait again until next year. And, and well, that's a good way of well, promoting your beer, of course. Uh, well, let's, let's open your triple now. Okay. Okay, good. So, you know, you have your own uh, hops in your beers. The brewery is actually right beside the Hawk Farm itself. Yes. You mentioned to me as well that you use um, some of your own barley uh, in some of your beers or in one particular beer. Because obviously the complications of, of the malting, which is something else. But um, tell me a little bit about kind of those plans or ideas yeah, you have. I have been growing barley for brewing barley huh, for, for, for several years now. And uh, it always ended up in, in, in one misery to getting something to do with it, with our beer, because it's, it's weight not enough. Now, most of our, let's say there are two big malteries left in Belgium, and the minimum batch that they need to do one batch separately is 35 tons of barley, which is producing about 30 tons of malt. Now, 35 tons of barley, I never can produce that by myself. What sort of what sort of uh, amount do you produce in your well, farm? Well, let's say uh, last year I produced 10 tons of, of, of good quality barley. 
which was a result of about uh, two and a half hectares or something. No, two hectares, something like that. I can do two, up to maximum three hectares in, on the farm in my system because I don't have that much land beside the hops. So I ne never can get into that 35 tons. So I last year I talked to, to, to Carl and I said, maybe we can do it this way that you use, you do one batch, yeah. anyway, it's also organic barley, and you use that 10 tons of mine, but then you buy, like you always do, some more from, from south of France, Germany or England, you make a, a mix, yeah. it's always better for a consistent quality, but at least... Some, Some of, of your it, barley is in my, that, All of my barley is, is in let's month. say, 30% of the barley is mine. And we will not buy back that lot of 30 ton of malt because that's way too much for us. We have malt for maybe a year, so that's not too good neither. But anyway, we, we took some of it back. So now we are brewing actually with our own beer, with, let's say, one third of our own barley, which is gives us a good feeling, but that's about it. <laughs> There's nothing more into it. But, but you want to go further with that? Yeah, idea? I want to go further. I uh, want to make uh, my own malt on the farm, very small scale. Now, once again, everybody tells me that's crazy, you can't do it, and etc. And once again, I would say that you're a cake couple. Yeah, so we're stubborn. Um, okay, if it's impossible, it is impossible, but... By coincidence, I heard that other people around the world are doing that. And uh, it's now a year and a half ago, we, we, we did a collaboration brew in, in Oregon, uh -huh. in Corvallis. And we went to visit some of the bigger microbrewers, well, microbrewers, craft brewers, like uh, Roche, Roche Brewery, uh -huh. quite famous. And they are, have their own farm and they're producing quite a bit of barley and they have a small scale system that they're producing their own malt. Anyway, uh, since we were down there, and uh, that's all not too far away, uh, I asked uh, by email, I took contact, if we could go and see that. And then we went to the farm in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> somewhere where they were growing the barley. And the guy in charge, he said, well, yeah, okay, I will show you. There's nothing, not much to do about it. Uh, two years ago, I didn't know anything about malting. But then, you know, the big guy decided, now we got to make malt. And he said, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he, he did read some books and took some contacts with people that have knowledge. Mm -hmm. But basically, he, he explained us from what do you have to do. You have to you take your barley, you have to wash it. You have to soak it in water until it has its maximum volume of water taken up. Then you have to let it germinate. They're just easy floor molting. They put it uh, about uh, 25 centimeter deep on a concrete floor in wintertime when it's cool. And you let it germinate. The only thing you have to do is that this every day, four times a day, you have to shovel it up and, and turn it around. So they don't start to rot, but they start to grow. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's about it. And then when the when they start to germinate... The drying element. Then. Yes. Uh, when they are in a certain position that they're, they're good, then you have green malt. Yeah? And green malt, well, that, that would be another story. That you can make beer with green malt. But it has to be fresh. Well, that's another story again that we could do. But anyway, so then you have to dry the malt. And, uh, okay, drying facility. Well, we have a drying facility for the hops. We can adapt it a little bit and, 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 and dry yeah, it. This is something that you know a little bit about yes. already. When I talked to the, the bigger guys, uh, to Carl, about the malting, he said, Joris, yeah, okay, how are you going to do that? And he said, well... No, this and that, and floor molting and easy. Well, he said, yeah, a lot of work. We don't mind working, so <laughs> only batches of 500 kilogram or maybe one ton at the maximum. He said, yeah, that's possible. You can do it, he said. But said, but then the difficult part comes at the end, the drying part. He said, well, Carl, that cannot be a problem. I know about drying. We have burners, we have fans, we have facilities to dry hops. And then he said, well, in that case, yours, it will work. You can do it. So, so does that mean we can expect to see a beer which you use your own barley grown on the farm, which is malted um, by yourself, probably which you don't know the starch content of, the sort of well, moisture we can, content we, of? We will let it analyze out. So yeah. you, you really have got to know what you're doing. And then I talked to, to the, the malter that we're buying our malt now. They're willing to cooperate. I said, okay, can you analyze what we're doing? So you need to know what you do. That's what the guy in America said too. It's very easy to do, 
but you have to know what you start from and, and what do you end up to. And there are things you can do to influence the final quality, but you have to know what you do, but we don't have a lab. So we talked to Carl, they were willing, of course, we would pay for analysis, so, so we have feedback. Mm-hmm. And that way you can do quality-wise. Uh, yeah, you have a better even, understanding yeah. of, of the beer. Even the guy in America, he said, now he said after a couple of years, I can make better quality barley uh, malt from my barley than the big guys do. He said, well, this is really... Yeah, he said, because I control the whole process, small scale, and I can adjust the process quite easy because time is not an issue. But in the big factories... Huge quantities. Huge quantities. It's about the price and time and, and they have to push it. That's why they need high, high quality barley. He said, I can make good quality malt from any barley. Just if I need to know analysis and I know what to do and I can adjust the process yep. I said wow well, well, that, that sounds good and, and so that's another project coming oh, out. it sounds fantastic and I mean we're drinking your triple at the minute and uh, the triple is kind of your I suppose it's your most recent addition to your lineup yes we only yeah. released this um, last summer no summer before but would you say so, it's, it's, uh, it's one of your more commercially successful yes it's the beer that we're selling the most why, why do you think that is because it's a blonde beer, we call it a triple. That sounds good. People recognize that, a triple, okay. All the very complicated things and that that's too fancy or whatever, they don't like it. That triple, they like it, seven and a half alcohol, perfect, blonde, not too bitter, not too hoppy, way not. And a good full malty flavor, fruity flavor. And that's what they want. Do, do people like the all-inclusive IPA? Yeah. yeah. But that's already more complex and, and more hoppy and bitter, and, and that's already... So explain, more explain, explain what the, the all-inclusive IPA yeah. is. The, the all-inclusive IPA is also, a, let's say, a one-time season, uh, season beer that we make just after hop-picking with all the varieties I grow. So last year that was five varieties. It was a Goldings, Challenger, Whitbread Golding, uh, Pilgrim and Cascade. Each of them 20%, quite easy. Mm-hmm. And quite a bit. It's an IPA. That sounds good as well. And uh, But the special thing about it that we, we use them as, as whole hops. Normally in the brewery, we use all pellets. Why? Because that's a good way of storing your hops and the quality. But Chris, the first time Chris said we want to do, he wanted to do something special. He said, during hopping, he said, from each variety, just keep a plastic bag with a couple kilograms loose dried hop cones, but not pressed, not packed, not not doing anything, we will do something with it. So the week after hop picking, we made this beer with these whole flowers, which has no, let's say, there has nothing happened with it. They have not been baled, they have not been opened up, they have not been stored, they have not been milled not put in pressed in pellets, vacuum packed and stored, nothing. So they have the maximum flavor they ever can have. Dry, of course. So anyway, we, we brewed that beer and then we, we tasted it and he said, wow, what, what is this? Such a complex flavor. But that Now, at the end, we asked that to people that are a lot smarter again of us. And they said, that, that comes because of the hops, because the hops are, are really freshly dried with their maximum whatever if you do the same thing with these hop, whole hops but you wait two months it will not be the same anymore because these hops will go down so fast that's why people press them and and, and store them and then put them in pellets to store them so we made this a couple of years now just freshly and after it's, it's, it's the varieties that you grow in that particular year yes all of them this year there will be two more so actually, it's an exp- it's it's kind of an expression as well of the work that you've done on the farm throughout yeah, the year. Yeah, you throw everything in it. Yeah, you you, me- you mentioned to me as well one time that you were considering throwing a bit of a party on the farm in the form of an organic festival. Yeah, that's another plan that's been going on a little bit. Um, as I mentioned before, so all our beer have the organic label. Yeah, and um, the farm is organic since many years, but we don't really do much with it. Uh, we don't sell organic beer. We sell beer that we make with our own hops. And that's the story. 
but it's also organic. It, it's a kind of, it's an extra or whatever. That's the way we do. Organic is standard. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. So we're thinking about we should do something with it. it. Until now, it costs us money and lots of effort to do it. And we're not gaining anything with it. Uh, we, we're not selling our beer more expensive because there is an organic label. Um, that's not really the issue. But we would like to do something with it. And um, and we do, we like to do things different than other people. So we don't have any money for promotion or marketing or, or anything like that. We have our story. So we, um, at a certain point, yeah, when we were in America, I, I saw some newspapers or whatever. I saw something like that there was an organic beer festival down there somewhere. And there seemed to be two of them, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. And I said, well, we don't have this in Europe. I never heard about an organic, a whole you know, 100% organic beer festival. Maybe, yeah, we should do that. And uh, so we want to make a, an event about it all. Just another beer festival. There are not enough beer festivals yet, so we want another one. But a special one. And do you know who might who you might invite to that or, or what? Well, we have some contacts already. We, anyway, we will do it at the last weekend of August in 2017. So why on that date? Because hops are just ready to get picked. So we really would do the festival in between of the hops, in between the hop fields. And we would do some hop picking demonstration and hand picking competitions and all these kinds of nice things because that's that's our story. And of course, only brewers that do 100% organic beer, not brewers that do a few organic beers, huh? but only breweries that but do 100% they, of that's beer. That's their kind of signature, yeah. Yeah, it's part that's of their ethos. Yeah. And uh, it, it will not be a, a huge mass of people. But we hope quite to find ten, between 10 and 15 breweries, some from abroad as well, uh, some from Holland, probably Germany, France, uh, England. Maybe American, but I don't think they will show up. But maybe they could send some beer. Yeah. Uh, because it's, 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 it's a nice story. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And I'd like to finish by um, um, asking if I could go along next August 2017. Of course, yeah. Can I get sure. an invite? Yeah, sure. We Brilliant. will invite everyone uh, that wants to come. But we'll, it will never be the huge event like like many beer festival. That's not the issue. But it, we, we, we want to bring out our story about organic beer and make, yeah, let's make an organic beer festival. Yeah. Joris, do you, do you love what you do? Yeah, sure. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. So that's the only thing I have about it. It's, it's not about making money. <laughs> it's having a... Making a dream come true and having a good time. Uh, so I'll drink to that. Okay. And so thanks a lot for coming in. Thank you. And uh, Sante. Sante. Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to hear more, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you liked it, we'd love it if you left a review on iTunes. If there's someone you know you think would enjoy it, please do recommend it to them. And if you want to keep up with our stories, resources and projects on Belgian beer and Belgian chocolate, Sign up for our email updates on belgiansmack.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.